Hello, my name is Moshe Mittelman, Professor of Internal Medicine and Hematology. I'm working in Tsuraski Medical Center in Tel Aviv, Israel, and Professor in the Tel Aviv University Sackler School of Medicine. I am happy and glad to launch this project, which is a joint project with the MDS Foundation, in which we will give and provide podcasts on myelodysplastic syndromes. This joint project, as I say, and it includes together, I would like to thank the MDS Foundation, Professor Steven Neimer and Professor Mario Cazola, as well as the executive team, Tracy Raka, Leah Harrison, and Madeleine Gelch. And obviously, I am grateful to the podcast Israel, which enables this project to be initiated. The plan is to uh, issue about four to maybe more episodes per year in which we will cover various topics of myelodysplastic syndromes. The program is uh, directed towards physicians, both experts as well as other physicians who are interested in the topic, and we will combine educational stuff with cutting-edge material. The, another program which we will launch later on will be directed to patients and families. The source for the material will be scientific material which will be presented or was presented in international meetings such as American Society of Hematology, European Hematology Association, ASCO, as well as the International MDS Symposiums, and obviously recent papers published in the more prestigious journals. The topics, as we mentioned, will be general topics of MDS, but obviously we cannot cover everything. We will try to cover interesting basic aspects as well as clinical aspects, but as I said, not everything. Here and there, occasionally, we will also cover pivotal papers which will deal with overlapping fields, not necessarily MDS, but also relevant to MDS people, for example, something with the COVID and other topics. To those of us who are not dealing and seeing these patients on a daily basis, I would just like to remind that myelodysplastic syndromes, MDS, are clonal bone marrow stem cell disorders characterized by anemia and or other cytopenias. Almost all the patients, more than 90% experience anemia with various degrees, and about half of them suffer from pancytopenia. This is usually a disease of the elderly, although we also see younger patients. The basic problem, as we said, is in the bone marrow. The disease is genetic, although in very few it is genetic, and we know today that more than 90% of the patients have at least one myeloid signature. The disease is characterized, as we said, by cytopenias. The clinical manifestations are related to the cytopenia, anemia, leukopenia, and infections, thrombocytopenia, and or bleeding, and there is a high likelihood of leukemic transformation, and between 20 to 60% of the patients over time transform into acute leukemia. The treatments 
depend on the patient status, age, performance status, as well as the degree of the disease. All patients are classified to either lower risk disease or higher risk disease, and the treatment is according to the state. The lower risk patients receive treatment which is supposed to improve their quality of life and treat the complications while the high-risk patients receive more aggressive treatment, which is supposed to change the natural course of the disease. So, with no further introductions, I am glad to go on to the first paper which I would like to cite. This paper was published in uh, last October 2020 in Nature Medicine, the lead author is Dr. Elsa Bernard. On behalf of international colleagues, Elsa works in the team of uh, Professor Eli Papa Emanuel in Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. And the paper is entitled Implications of TP53 Allelic State for Genome Stability, Clinical Presentation and Outcomes in Myelodysplastic Syndromes. As a background, I will remind our listeners that the tumor protein TP53 is the most frequently mutated gene in cancer and for decades has been regarded as the bad guy of cancer. In patients with MDS, TP53 mutations are associated with high-risk disease, rapid transformation to acute myeloid leukemia, resistance to conventional therapies, and dismal poor outcomes. As the tumor suppressive gene, patients with TP53 mutations, although we refer them as homogeneous patient population, this is not necessarily the case. Some of them harbor monoallelic mutations, while others have biallelic mutations. And the question that is raised, are all these patients the same? Does their MDS behave the same? Interestingly, the biological and clinical implications of TP53 allelic state have not been fully investigated in MDS or in any other cancer type. So here, Dr. Elsa Bernard and the international team investigated bone marrow samples of patients with MDS and TP53 mutations. In total, they tested more than 3,000 samples, in fact, 3324 samples. And while testing the allelic state and correlating this allelic state with various clinical and other features, they concluded that MDS patients with TP53 mutations include two subpopulations with distinct phenotypes and outcomes. One-third, about 30% of the patients with TP53, have only monoallelic mutations. Surprisingly, this patient population with monoallelic patients did not differ from TP53 wild-type patients in their outcomes, in their response to treatment, and other features. In other words, these patients should not be regarded anymore as high-risk patients. On the other hand, the other two-thirds of the MDS patients with TP53 mutations, they had 
multiple hits, multi-hit we call it, consistent with bi-allelic targeting. This patient subpopulation with TP53 mutation and bi-allelic state, their genetic signature was associated with complex karyotypes with few co-occurring mutations, high-risk presentation, and poor outcomes. Moreover, TP53 multi-hit state predicted risk of death and leukemic transformation independently of the IPSSR prognostic classifications. So, in conclusions, the team showed us that not all TP53 mutations were born equal. This is in contrast with what we all thought and believed. Testing of TP53 allelic state appears to be critical for diagnostic and prognostic precision in medicine. This should be the precision medicine for the future. Third of the patients with TP53 mutations are not really high risk, should be regarded and treated in accordance. And this might be also the case for other mutations other than TP53. The next paper, which I would like to tell you about, is a paper entitled a prenatopopt, this is now the new name which we all have to be used to, in parenthesis, this is the APR246, and as a cited in, in TP53 mutant myelodysplastic syndromes. This is a paper which was published in this January 2021 in the Journal of Clinical Oncology, and the lead author is David Salman on behalf of a group of investigators. As a background, I will remind that mutations in the tumor suppressor gene TP53 are still considered the bad guy of oncology, as we just mentioned also in the previous paper. TP53 mutations in MDS are associated with a variety of poor features, including complex karyotypes, classification with higher risk, poor response to treatment, and poor survival. Unfortunately, only about 20% of the patients with TP53 mutations myelodysplastic syndromes, when they are treated with hypomethylating agents, do achieve complete response. Only 20% compared with the usual classical number of 50% in all the other patients. So there is a need to overcome this problem of TP53 and to find a better way to increase the complete response rate. The new agent, which was called APR246, another name which you may find in the literature is the PRIMA, P-R-A-M-A-1-MET. And the new name, which we all have to get used to, is a prenatopt. And this is a novel agent, first in class, small molecule that restores the wild type P53 functions in TP53 mutant cells. This study was a phase 1b2 study, which was determined to study the safety and to decide the recommended dose for the phase 2-3, which will come later on. It was given as an agent together with azacitidine in high-risk patients with MDS and acute myeloid leukemia 
who have TP53 mutation. Totally in this study, 55 patients were enrolled, including 40 patients with MDS, 11 patients with acute myeloid leukemia, and 4 patients with MDS myeloproliferative neoplasm overlapping. All these patients had at least one mutation of the TP53. The response were pretty encouraging. Overall response was 71%, including 44% who achieved complete remission. If you take only the MDS subgroup, the overall response rate was 73% in the CR was achieved in 29 patients, and the CR was 50%. Cytogenetic response was achieved in 58%, which is quite a high number. Patients with TP53 mutation by NGS had higher rates of complete remission, even up to 69%. Interestingly, the responding patients had significant reductions in the P53 variant allele frequency, the WAF, and the P53 expression by immunohistochemistry, so it is correlated with the clinical response. With 21 patients, 38%, achieving complete molecular remission with variant allele frequency, which is fewer than 5%. The median overall survival, however, was still relatively short, 10.8 months, with a significant improvement as expected in the responding patients compared with the non-responding patients. Overall, 35% patients underwent allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation with a median overall survival of 15 months. Adverse events in this study were similar to those reported for azacitidine alone, and there were mainly neutropenia, leukopenia, and infections. In conclusion, the combination treatment of both APR246 with the new name Eperenatopt and Azacitidine is relatively well tolerated, yielding high rates of clinical response and molecular emissions in patients which are very high risk with TP53 mutations and or oligoblastic acute myeloid leukemia. I would add one word of my interpretation, yes, it is definitely a big and important step forward. However, we should keep in mind, number one, this is still phase one, two B trial, and we are still waiting for the phase three trials, and the overall survival is still relatively short, hopefully will be prolonged in the next trials. I would like just to mention that uh, this APR is given with IV infusion over four consecutive days. The next work was presented by Dr. Johannes Gohl and international colleagues. This is a multi-center study which was presented in the last ASH 2020. This is abstract number 540 in session 637. Entitled, Targeted Sequencing of Seven Genes Can Help to Reduce Pathologic Misclassification of MDS. Diagnosis of MDS 
is sometimes easy and clear cut, especially in the higher risk patients with pancytopenia, increased percentage of blasts, and abnormal cytogenetics. However, we all know that occasionally we have difficulties in diagnosis or excluding MDS, especially if the features are less clear. Considering that in 2021, pathological review of bone marrow samples are still the gold standard diagnostic assay with the subjective nature, this makes the problem even more difficult. It is estimated that in 10 to 20% of the cases, there is a personal disagreement between pathologists regarding the diagnosis. The use of molecular and genetic techniques added an important objective accurate tool and next generation sequencing, NGS, is more commonly used in many centers. However, the lack of specificity for certain genetic mutations and especially the presence of such myeloid genetic signatures in healthy people further complicates the diagnostic difficulty. Here, Dr. Gohl and colleagues presented interesting data from a larger study. This is the NHLBI National MDS study. In this prospective multicenter study, investigators from 92 community hospitals and 29 academic centers enrolled patients suspected of having MDS. Several aspects, including genetic, epigenetic, and biologic factors, are investigated. In the presented study, bone marrow samples from cytopenic participants independently underwent local and central pathology review. Each patient was diagnosed as having MDS or MDS-MPN or low blast, less than 30% acute myeloid leukemia, or please pay attention to the other entity, other, and I will say something about that. The bone marrow pathology review was followed by a targeted exon sequencing of 96 myeloid genes. A cohort of 648 individuals was chosen for building a diagnostic model. This included patients diagnosed with MDS, N was 212, and others, other diseases which are not NDS and not acute leukemia, and these patients were 436. The others included patients diagnosed as CCUS, clonal cytopenia of undetermined significance, and also 89 patients with other types of cancers. From the 596 samples that were reviewed, there was an agreement between the local and central pathologist, and this agreement was in 546 patients, which means that in 50 samples, about 10%, there was a pathological disagreement. The diagnostic logistic regression model was established using the data of 75% of this cohort, and the remaining 25% were used for validation. The focus was on the patients who were defined as discordant, those in whom there was a disagreement between the local and central pathology review. 
seven genes were found to be most informative in discriminating MDS from others. The model was used to assign probability to each subject. In testing the accuracy and how the model is precise, the area under the curve was 0.89, which is pretty good. The researchers chose probability of at least 17% or more as being associated with high percentage of correct diagnosis. With these values, the model sensitivity was found to be 90% and the specificity was defined as 81%. When they tested the samples of the 50 patients who were defined as discordant, the model correctly diagnosed the disease in 37 patients, which is 74%. In summary, adding NGS to the pathological review of bone marrow slides of individuals suspected of having MDS improved the diagnostic accuracy in 74%. Seven genes were found to be informative and helpful, and these are genes that are known to be important in myeloid diseases, and I mentioned them, TP53, SF3B1, U2, AF1, ASXL1, TET2, STAG2, and SRSF2. Now, I would like to describe abstract number 658 from the last American Society of Hematology 2020 in session 637. This is a work presented by Uwe Platzbacher from Leipzig, Germany, on behalf of International Group of Investigators. This was a multi-center, multinational trial. The title of the work, Treatment with Emetelstat, provides durable transfusion independence in heavily transfused non-DEL5Q lower-risk MDS relapsed refractory to erythropoiesis stimulating agents. As a background, I will remind our listeners that patients with low-risk MDS who are red blood cell transfusion dependent, they are offered erythropoietin stimulating agents such as erythropoietin. However, if they do not respond or they become relapse or refractory to ESA, to erythroid stimulating agents, we have very limited therapeutic options to offer these patients. In many MDS patients, telomere shortening was reported due to hyperactivity of telomerase. Imetelstat is the first-in-class telomerase inhibitor that targets cells with short telomeres and active telomerase. Characteristics observed, which are characteristics that were observed, as we said, in many MDS patients, in fact, in all stages of the disease. This work reports a study which is called iMERGE, MDS3001, and this is, was a phase 2-3 global study of imetelstat in transfusion-dependent patients who are erythroid-stimulating agents, refractory or resistant or relapse. These phase 2 results indicate that imetelstat achieves durable 
transfusion independence in these patients. Part of this study has already been presented by David Stinsma in Ash two years ago and later on by Pierre Fenou from France in the EHA last year. Here in this report, Dr. Platzbecker from Leipzig and his colleagues report long-term efficacy, safety, and biomarker updates in 38 patients with low-risk non-DEL5Q transfusion-dependent MDS patients who, as we said, are relapse or refractory to erythropoietin. They were naive to lenalidomide or hypomethylenic agents, and this part of the study was open-label, single-arm, phase 2 portion of the study. In this phase 2 study, patients received imetelstat with a dose of 7.5 mg per kilogram intravenously as a short infusion every four weeks. The long-term efficacy includes transfusion dependence for more than eight weeks and or transfusion dependence rate for more than 24 weeks and or for more than a year and the duration of the improvement, the erythroid improvement. The results, as Dr. Plasbecker reported, showed that more than 89% of the patients received prior erythroid stimulating agents, and 32%, a third of the patients, had very high EPO level, and these patients, as we all know, usually do not respond to erythropoietin. 71% of the patients were patients with sideroblastic anemia. After a median follow-up of 24 months, here are the results of the 38 patients. In this subgroup of 38 patients, 16 patients, which is 42%, achieved transfusion dependence for at least 8 weeks. 12 of these 16 patients showed hemoglobin rise with 3 gram per deciliter or more. 12 of the patients achieved transfusion independence for more than 24 weeks. And 11 patients, which is 29%, so about 30% of the patients, observed and achieved transfusion independence for more than a year. So we are talking here about a long duration of response. The Kaplan-Meier median transfusion independent duration was 88 weeks, about 20 months. The longest transfusion independence lasted for 2.7 years. The adverse events were reversible grade 3 cytopenias, which was absolutely expected and easily managed. Interestingly, on-target telomerase activity assays indicated a good correlation between inhibiting the telomerase with imetelstat and the clinical benefit, which means that responding patients tended to show reduced activity of the enzyme. In conclusion, Dr. Platzbecker and colleagues reported that imetelstat, the telomerase inhibitor, can achieve transfusion independence in about 42%, at least for eight weeks, with a median duration of 20 months, which is relatively very long compared with previous studies. 
In 30% of the patients, the transfusion independence period lasted for more than a year. Now, there is an enrollment for an ongoing phase 3 portion of iMERGE, a placebo-controlled trial of the efficacy and safety of imetilstat, including potential predictive biomarkers of response, and lastly, personal disclosure, I, myself, and my group are participating in this phase 3 trial. This was uh, episode 1 of MDS Foundation Expert Podcast. I am Moshe Mittelman. I was glad to be with you. Please come again to the second episode, which will come soon.